Hey there, Pastor Mark Jordan here from Hope Church. Thank you for stopping by and welcome to our online ministry. While you're here, make sure to subscribe to our podcast so you can stay up to date on all the content that's released. And while you're online, visit us at our webpage at placeofhope.org. Hope Church is on a mission to introduce people to Jesus and fuel their love for Him. And we hope that this message today is helpful and inspiring for you as you continue to take your next step on your faith journey. Once again, thanks for visiting us and make sure to check us out at placeofhope.org. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Worship at Hope Church. If we have yet to meet, my name is Mark. I am the pastor here, and I am thrilled to see each and every one of you here today. I happened to hop on our live stream just a couple minutes ago, and I know that we have a lot of people who are worshiping with us online today because of the spring break. And uh, if you are traveling, uh, we uh, wish you a very special and safe trip. And if you're not going to be with us next Sunday for Easter morning, uh, I would love and invite and encourage you to uh, follow us on the live stream and then tag us and tag Hope Church from wherever you are. That way we can know uh, how far our ministry and our message is reaching this morning. So you'll see that we have on our title screen, uh, we are finishing up today our Seven Nevers from Scripture message series. And today we are looking at Never Seven, which is how God's Word will never return empty. I hope that this series has been helpful for you as we've considered some of the ways that the Scripture talks about that word never, and uh, specifically things like uh, today, how God's Word will never return to us empty. You saw our kids come in this morning with uh, their palm branches. If any of you have been around for some of our vacation Bible school, kids ministry, or preschool events, that song uh, is one of their absolute favorite songs. And I just want to give a shout out really quickly to Christian and team uh, for learning that song and doing it for the kids this morning. I think it is better than the recording, uh, to be honest with you. But thank you. Let's give a quick shout out to Christian and team. Our, our goal for doing that was to try to help make it uh, exciting for the children when they walked in on Palm Sunday morning to talk about Hosanna and to hear a song that they love and they're familiar with uh, and that they, connect, they can connect to it in our worship celebration. So really quickly about Palm Sunday and how all this works together as it links our message series with where we are in the season is Palm Sunday, we look at Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem. This is when Jesus came to declare that he was riding in seriously as the king of Israel. He came to gather God's people. He came to let them know that there was hope for them. But the problem is people misunderstood what was happening. They understood the meaning and the message behind the triumphant entry into Jerusalem. I want to say a little bit about that really quickly. If you weren't familiar with what was happening historically back then, Israel was under Roman occupation, and Jerusalem in particular. And they had been calling and crying out for a Messiah for generations to come in and to reestablish the rule of King David and the line of King David. Now, when you look at the Gospels, Matthew and Luke in particular give us really intricately drawn out uh, genealogies of Jesus to show how Jesus was indeed 
the one who came in the line of King David. And those genealogies also offer some pretty interesting tidbits and nuggets. We're not going to get into those this morning. Uh, but I would encourage you at any point if you're curious just to do a little digging in what those genealogies say because uh, they connect all types of events throughout the history of Israel. And so as we move back into Palm Sunday when Jesus made his triumphant entry into Jerusalem, what was happening was he was making a statement that he was coming as the Messiah. Now, when I say the people misunderstood, this is the reason why they probably misunderstood. They were looking for that Messiah to come in and to reestablish the kingship of David. And so when Jesus mounted the donkey, he was making a statement. When kings would ride into town, riding on a steed or a stallion, it was a message that they were at a time of war. It was kind of like a military parade you might see going down Main Street to say, we are strong and we are here. But when the king rode into town riding on a donkey, it meant that, the time, that they were in a time of peace. And so when Jesus is riding into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey, he is coming in as the rescuing Messiah, but not as a military leader. Jesus was not coming into Jerusalem to throw out the Romans. He was coming in to say, I am coming in peace to gather God's people. And they misunderstood. That little nugget and that little tidbit is where you can draw a line from Palm Sunday when the crowds are gathering, cheering for Jesus with hosannas to what happens on Good Friday morning when that same basic crowd that had gathered there for the Passover, they were not cheering for Jesus. They were jeering him and crying out for him to be crucified. We're going to talk about this a little bit more on Friday evening. We have our Good Friday service, shameless plug. But what ended up happening was because of the uncertainty around Jesus, Pontius Pilate gave the people a choice between Jesus or someone named Barabbas. And the people ultimately chose Barabbas, which led to Jesus' crucifixion, not just out of fulfillment of prophecy, but because they were disappointed that Jesus did not come in and mobilize the crowd in order to fight for him and to overthrow the Roman government. So what they did is they decided to choose Barabbas, who they had put their hope in that maybe he would rise up and lead a military coup or an insurrection of sorts. And so the people misunderstood Jesus' mission, how and why he came in riding on a donkey. But yet, as you'll see that last line, they still cried, Hosanna. Now, our song, Hosanna Rock, Hosanna, ho, ho, Hosanna, right? It's, it's a praise song, and it's designed to instill within us the, that joy. You know, play your guitar, rock the drums, all the other stuff. It's a, it's a song about joy, Hosanna. And that's what we generally think about when we hear the word, hear, listen to me, when we hear the word Hosanna. But it also has a secondary meaning, which is save us now. So when the people were throwing their palm branches on the ground as Jesus enters into Jerusalem, and they are shouting their hosannas, and they are singing praise to God, it is a praise, but it is also a prayer. Save us now. Deliver us from this. They cried hosanna to praise and to pray. Save us now. Maybe we can relate. Maybe you can relate. People ask me daily, and sometimes multiple times a day, 
if I think we are in the end time? I don't know. Jesus himself said the only one who knows is God the Father in heaven. But there is something about what is happening in our culture and in our world. When you think about war, you think about uh, economic problems, when you think about injustice that we see all around us, even in the midst of the justice system, we feel that something is ending. I do believe that it is. I'm not saying that this is the end times and Jesus is going to come back, although I wouldn't object to that necessarily. But what I do think is it's an ending of a sense of faith and peace that we've put in things other than God. Can I get a witness? And it's a reminder to us that this world is not our home. I was really captured early in the week when the results of that Wall Street Journal survey came out and were making their way through the cultural consciousness. You know what I'm talking about? There's this survey that the Wall Street Journal does every number of years where they track how Americans feel about issues of patriotism, religion, having children, community involvement, and money. They track this over the course of generations. And for the first time, every single issue of those values declined. And didn't just decline, they declined significantly, with the exception of one. What do you think it is? Making money. So, our values, the values that I think about when I go back into, uh, you know, hey, I'm guilty of all of us, right? But romanticizing our childhood in the past, but those values about patriotism. I was a good Cub Scout and putting my hand over my heart or saluting, uh, saluting or saluting, depending on what part of the country you come from. <laughs> Saluting the flag, right? The teary, misty eyes that we get when we see the flyovers at sporting events. Religion, of course, it's always been near and dear to my heart. Having children, we're constantly trying to add to our family. Community involvement, that's why we're here as a church, right? And then making money? It's kind of that old Sesame Street. One of these things, it's not like the other. Come on, can you tell which one? We've lost our way. And as a result, we feel that lurking and lurching and leaping of evil in our world. I was so hurt by what happened in Nashville, as I am with every school shooting. It pains me to see and to feel the evil in the world. It's something I feel in my heart and my soul. Do you know what I'm talking about? There's one thing to watch the news. There's another thing to feel it. And it feels hollow and empty. And it broke my heart. It breaks my heart still. And I thought about a quote that I couldn't remember where it came from. And I just happened to rediscover it yesterday while I was getting ready for today. It comes from William Shakespeare's The Tempest where it says, Hell is empty because all the devils are here. Save us now, dear Lord. Help us. Save us now. We praise you, but we pray for relief from the evil that we feel and we sense around us. We pray, we praise God for believing that he is in our midst, and yet coming face to face with the reality that we oftentimes misunderstand God's role in our world, in our country, in our region, 
in our lives. And so that praise must meet with the prayer that says, Dear God, help me with clear eyes and a clear heart to feel what it is that you are wanting to convey to me, to us collectively here in the church, that we may be the people who you've created and called us to be. And so our passage that we look at from the Gospel of Luke so frequently on Palm Sunday refers to how it says, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. I love how Luke continues telling that story because the religious leaders and elite of the day came to Jesus and told him to get his disciples to be quiet. Hesh them up now, I says. Be quiet. We don't want to create some type of a cultural upheaval here. Just tell them to be quiet. Does anyone remember how Jesus responded as Luke depicts this event? He said, I tell you what, if I were to tell my disciples to be quiet, the very stones on the ground will begin to cry out for redemption. It goes to show that the world, even creation itself, those things that we feel, believe, know are inanimate objects, so to speak, are crying out for God's deliverance from the junk and the evil that we feel and we see and we sense all around us. Everything is crying and calling out to God. Save us now. As we praise you for who you are and what you've done in our life. There's great hope that comes with our message for today. As we read that God's word promises to never return empty. Let's look at our passage from Isaiah chapter 55, verses 10 and 11. This is where the prophet records, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that, or it be that goes out from my mouth. I'm sorry, you know, I didn't miss it. I didn't read that very eloquently, but the word that goes out from the mouth of God, it shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. That's the word that God gave to Isaiah to pass along to his people that we can still read thousands of years later. And it instills within us that praise, yes, Lord God, I know that you promised that your word will never return empty, but it also connects with it a prayer. So save us now. Let us see the power and the goodness of that which you promised to happen here in our time on the earth. May we see it revealed in our midst. I think it's a powerful and a beautiful thing. And so I want us to consider for a few moments what it means to have God's word in our lives based on this passage from Isaiah. First of all, it nourishes passively. God's word nourishes us passively. When we see, we feel, we experience the values and the virtues in the world that connect with that soul longing that every single one of us have, the things that are right, the things that are good, the things that are of God's way. We can feel it. We can feel it nourishing us passively. Just like we cannot control the rain or the snow that falls. And my goodness, I wish we could. I love snow, and I miss not having any snow for a couple years. I'm not going to get into that today. I need the auto write a devotion on or something. But you know, we can't control it, right? It happens based on what God does and who God is. The rain and the snow. 
I love how Jesus said that it rains on the just and the unjust alike. Sometimes we look forward to rain, right? If our fields and our crops are parched, sometimes we don't want the rain. If we've had so much of it, or if it's spring break or something, right? We don't want the rain. It falls, regardless. It falls on those who we might think deserve it, and it falls on those that we might wish could either be flooded out or parched dry. But we also think about the Word of God. It nourishes us actively, feeding upon it. The Word of God is referred to regularly throughout the Scriptures, bread. We saw that. Did you know that the word Bethlehem, you know what happened to Bethlehem, right? Somebody was born there. Who was it? Jesus. The word Bethlehem means house of bread. Jesus came to be the bread of life born in the house of bread. Isn't that awesome how the Bible weaves and connects all these things? And when we feed upon the word of God, we are feeding on the bread of life. Friday evening, we will celebrate Holy Communion here as part of our Good Friday service. When we remember how Jesus gave himself willingly for us and told us that his body now becomes bread to nourish us and his blood to the drink to slate our thirst for righteousness. And so we see that we are nourished actively when we feed on the word of God. One of the things that hurts preachers' hearts a lot is when people say, hey, I'm going to go to such and such church down the street because I just don't feel like I'm being fed here. You know, folks, our, we don't set up high chairs in here for a reason. We're not here to feed, spoon feed, but to help teach how to feed upon the Word of God. That active activity of coming and worshiping and fellowshipping and serving and studying together. So God's Word in our lives feeds us when we actively seek it. And then the third point is us to fulfill God's purpose. Remember last week we talked about how God's covenant will never be removed from us. And the definition of covenant is a relational and binding promise to work toward a common goal. So that means that even when we just passively see and hear and experience and feel God's word at work in our lives, and when we come and we actively and feed upon the word of God God's purpose is being made manifest in us and we are called to connect to the centrality of Jesus who our Lord and Savior is who comes in and who we praise and who we pray to and we say dear Lord save us now we are working toward that common goal that common goal which Jesus himself said was a rescue mission for humanity to bring us back into that right relationship with God. And so we see our next major point is Jesus is God's word. Jesus is God's word. In the Gospel of John, the first chapter, verses 1 through 2, we read these words. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And it goes on to say, and without him nothing was made. What we see in the Greek from that verse is the word logos, right? It's Greek for the physical representation of a word. 
And so when you look and you see logos all over, like our Hope Church logo, or maybe you're, Jimmy's wearing a Brave shirt today, and uh, someone's probably got on a college, oh, there's a college bulldog, there, bulldog, I love Georgia, that was to be a bird dog. Um, Right, but, you know, you see logos, right? I, I was out on um, hiring the other day, and I was looking up at the Chili's logo. That's a really good logo, right? A chili pepper with an apostrophe S. I like logos. I love Amazon, right? Everything you need from A to Z, which is why the arrow points from the A and the Amazon to the Z. Everything you need from A to Z, right? I love logos and what they uh, depict. Uh, my son Ethan is studying this kind of stuff in college, and it amazes me the things that he comes up with about how these physical representations of a word are. And so that is what we see who Jesus is, is the actual physical representation of the word of God. Think back to creation, Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God said, let there be light, and there was what? Light. But it was several days later before the things we associate with light were made. What was the light? It was the radiating glory of God's presence, the Trinitarian God, the Father, the Holy Spirit, and of course, the Son. Jesus would later say, I am the light of the world. If you walk in me, you do not walk in darkness. Jesus of Nazareth, who was born in the house of bread and lived and lived his and served his life. He is the physical representation of the word of God that creates and recreates us, that comforts that convicts, that challenges, that corrects. Jesus himself is that word of God. And the promise was made that the word of God will never return empty. Ooh. So we're seeing something pretty awesome develop here, which is how God's word works in our lives. Now, this next passage, four verses, is really important. I don't want you to get too far ahead. Because what we see happens directly before John's account of Palm Sunday. The message and ministry of Jesus had grown to such a swell that the religious leaders and elite were intimidated by who he was and what he might be able to do. And so they made a decision, which you'll see at the end of our passage here today, that they were going to eliminate the threat. But yet God sent Jesus for a mission. And if that mission includes the verbal promise that his word will not return empty, as well as the physical manifestation of that word, then we can see something awesome and exceptional take place here in his word. Are you excited about this? Folks, let's look at John chapter 11 here, verses 49 through 53. And if your neighbor's asleep, I don't know how, but bump and wake them up, go get them a cup of coffee or something. Listen to this. But one of them, Caiaphas, Caiaphas was serving as the high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all. How arrogant. Or do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish? We'll press pause. Why would Caiaphas be, warning, be worrying about the nation perishing? Did I mention that they were under Roman occupation? And the Roman soldiers were brutal. They were horrible. And so Caiaphas was concerned about trying to keep the peace that he was sacrifice the one man Jesus to try to protect the entire 
country. But Caiaphas had ulterior motives, as we know. Jesus had threatened their way of life, their expertise. Jesus threatened them and aided them. And so Caiaphas worked to enact this plan. Picking up, he did not say this of his own accord. I love how John, who wrote this gospel, put that in there, right? Talking about how Jesus, it's better for Jesus for one man to die for the whole nation than the whole nation being destroyed. But John continues, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who were scattered abroad. So from that day on, they made plans to put him, meaning Jesus, to death. Friends, Caiaphas sought harm, but God sought hope. That's where the name of an amen right there. What's happening here? Caiaphas had these ulterior motives. As I mentioned, he wanted to see the elimination of the threat that he perceived in Jesus. And he was worried about what Jesus might be able to do to their authority, but he was also worried about what might happen with those outside Roman forces impressing their will upon Israel and Judea and Jerusalem. And so Caiaphas, as the high priest, put this plan in motion to have Jesus eliminated. A plan that was ultimately successful. But was it successful on Caiaphas's end? John gives us a clue. What would you say? Someone say no. No, that's exactly right. It wasn't Caiaphas's will. It was God's will that Jesus go to the cross. Friends, this speaks an enormous truth into our existence when we see or we feel or we sense our culture just crumbling because of all the corruption and the lies and the distortions that we see and we feel around us. God's word never returns empty. And so where Caiaphas sought harm, God sought hope. We see then Jesus' triumphant triumphant entry into Jerusalem where the people were praising and praying, save us now. And even though it was Caiaphas's will to have the one man die to preserve the nation, he had no idea what he was doing because God's word promises to never return empty. God's word promises to feed us passively and actively and to connect us to that common goal. What was the goal of God's word, both spoken and physical? It was to rescue humanity. And that is precisely what Jesus did when he went to the cross, when he declared and when he cried, it is finished. He was talking about the rescue mission for humanity so that Every single person now has the ability to come to know salvation in the word of God, spoken and physical. John gave us that clue when he said that Jesus came to gather all of God's people 
from abroad all over the world. And so Jesus' mission is seen in those three words, empty to full. Jesus came to seek and save lost. Luke 19.10. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. This, in Luke's gospel, was pronounced just before Jesus made his triumphant entry into Jerusalem, where he came as a messenger of peace and the Messiah to restore God's family for the people to praise as well as to pray. Lord, we praise you. Save us now. Maybe that is the prayer of your heart this morning as we gather here today. Lord, save us now. And we remember Jesus said, I came to seek and to save the lost. But Jesus went to the cross and then to the tomb. And the best news is that tomb is empty, so heaven will not be. The tomb is empty, so heaven will not be. If you have yet to receive Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, do not let this moment pass you by. He is the Word of God, the radiant depiction of the glory of God, God's physical presence, which brings light and illumination to the world, apart from our understanding of how light is generated by the sun or the stars or light bulbs or whatever else. It is Jesus who was sent on a mission to redeem and to rescue humanity. And to go to the cross to fulfill God's wrath for the sin that we have so easily and willingly slipped into. But also to show us the way back to heaven. He went to the t- cross, then to the tomb, and was resurrected so that tomb could be empty. So heaven can be filled with you and with me. And so we close this message and this series as we have with each installment in this series with our closing questions. How does the message of God's salvation fill you? When have you seen God work in spite of yourself, in spite of your best or most nefarious actions? How have you seen God's word work in your life? And where does God's word Fill your emptiness. So as we bring this installment and this series to a close on our Palm Sunday celebration, I hope that we will all close it with praise and a prayer. Now, even in your biggest failures, God is at work in your life. Even in your biggest weakness, God longs to fill you and strengthen you with his presence and power. And even in your doubt, Jesus wants to fill you with his blessed assurance.
So, if you feel God nudging you or urging you or as a very dapper wise man once said, nurging you, it's okay to laugh, right? If you feel God nudging or urging or nurging you, I pray that you heed that. Praise God. Ask him for his power to save you. And as we get ready to experience this Holy Week, Good Friday, resurrection morning next week, I pray that we may be filled with the word of God that promises to never return empty. And we remember that cross. And we remember the tomb. They stand empty today, so heaven will not be. Will you be there? When the roll is called up yonder? Will your name be on the list? I pray so. So let's pray right now. Almighty God, we praise you with those hosannas, very similar to what took place all those years ago. Hosanna, we praise you. But yet we also pray to you for deliverance. We pray to you to save us now. When we feel the things that we've held on to, perhaps a little too tightly and too hard, begin to crumble around us, it is a reminder that we need to stake our lives on the power of your word and not the institutions and the things that we see around us that we believe might be able to save us or offer us hope. Lord, we cannot neglect as we hear those words, Hosanna, and blessed is the one who comes in peace in the name of the Lord to remember that this echoes the birth announcement that the angels gave the shepherds on that Christmas morning, that peace exists for all those who claim you as Lord and Savior of of their lives. And so I praise you this morning for those who have made that commitment, whether it was moments or months or decades ago, And I pray for those, Lord, who are still trying to find a way to surrender their lives so that they may find their hope in you. So as your word promises to never return empty, I pray that it may fill us this morning with the hope of your salvation. And as we deal with all the junk around us, Almighty God, help us to know in all ways and all things that you are real, that you love us, and you have a plan and a purpose for our lives. And it is in the name of your Son and our Savior, Jesus, I pray. These hosannas. Amen and amen. Thank you again for joining us today. We are glad that you stopped by. Again, we want to encourage you to visit us online at placeofhope.org. If you're in the Paulding County area, there you can get service times, directions, and information about all of our awesome activities for children, for students, and for adults. Again, Hope Church is on a mission to introduce people to Jesus and fuel their love for Him, and we hope to provide you the heart fuel you need to follow Jesus. Thanks again.